I want to say this every time I get to stand before uh, college students of Highland, how much we, we love you, how much this church loves you. And I think I said this last year, maybe it was two years ago, like I'm, I'm not looking at the future of the church, I'm, I'm looking at the church right here. You are the church, you are the body of Christ. And so not one day and not, you know, when you graduate or when you're adulting and you're married, I mean, you are the church now and you are so valuable to, to this local church. Like low-key, we're a lesser church without college students, right? Low-key, I'm a lesser person. I have, I have kids your age. I know low-key. I know what that means. <laughs> I, I'm a lesser disciple of Jesus without the college students of, of Highland. And the older people, I am one in this church, we, we love you and we care for you. And again, it's even humbling to say we, we need you. Your, your giftedness, your joy, your, your passion, the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you. But let me also remind you, I don't think anybody in this room is struggling with this, but maybe you will uh, one day or maybe you have recently. Um, you need the older people as well. You need the generation above you, the generations above you. Um, prayerfully that the generations above you are walking faithfully with the Lord so we can serve as an example to you. But also remember what Paul told young Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because of your youthfulness or your collegeness. You be the example to us in faith and purity and speech and conduct. And you are. Please continue to do so. Tonight, I want us to, to jump into the discipline of personal Bible study. So not just you coming to church and being fed God's word and not just you going to a CG and someone talking about God's word. Um, not you listening to a podcast and someone telling you what God's word says, but, but you in God's word. You in God's word. Growing strong in your faith, growing strong in Christ, uh, growing mature, uh, growing in, and maturing in, in Scripture itself. You know, the Bible is the most vetted book in all of history. It, it is also the best-selling book in all of history, by far. And every generation, it was this way when I was a Baylor student, every generation um, hears the pushback on God's Word, the validity of God's Word, the credibility of God's Word. Um, every generation hears things like, it's, it's just too narrow-minded. It's just too old. It just has all these mistakes and all these inconsistencies within. It's just all made up. It's just a fairy tale. This has been going on really since, since the garden when the enemy asked first creation, did God really say? And that has been the scheme of the enemy toward every generation. It's not just your generation that questions the credibility and the validity of Scripture and the reliability of Scripture. Every generation has heard that same inquisition from the enemy. But did God really say these things? Uh, German theologians back in the mid-1800s said, you can't trust the New Testament. There, there is no record whatsoever of a Pontius Pilate. And, and, and he has made the, the, the creeds. And, and he, he is key in the crucifixion of of Jesus, you can't trust the New Testament. There is zero record anywhere in, in, in historicity or, or in archaeology of anyone by the name of Pontius Pilate until 1961, 
in Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Maritime, archaeologists turned over a, a capstone, and, and there what was written the name of, of Pontius Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilotus, uh, the prefect, um, the representation there in Nazareth. Uh, they say you can't trust the Old Testament because there's zero record of a very important man in the Old Testament by the name of King David. Um, they say there's, you, you can't trust the Old Testament. Look at how much the Old Testament is built upon the, the name of, the throne of, and the lineage of, of King David. You, you cannot trust, the German theologians of the 1800s said you can't trust the validity of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, who, who leans so heavily upon some mythical character by the name of, of David. Until 1993, in Tel Dan, in the most northern part of, of Israel, a mosaic was found about a, a battle that was won by the house of King David. Time and time again, archaeology has proved the credibility, the validity of, of Scripture. The uh, Jewish theologians um, of the past several centuries said that there's no way that Isaiah chapter 53 was written in the original scrolls of Isaiah because it sounds way too familiar to a crucifixion scene when the suffering servant was pierced for our transgressions. And so for hundreds of years, Jewish theologians said you cannot trust Isaiah chapter 53 because there's no way that had to have been added afterwards with a picture that is so perfect of a Messiah, a suffering servant. And so they declared this over and over again until 1947 when a little Bedouin boy threw a rock into a cave in Qumran, Israel. And pottery broke open and the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And right in the middle of it was Isaiah 53 that can be traced back maybe to 100 years B.C., maybe 100 years A.D., but certainly the, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so the Jewish theologians, they, 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 they lost their, um, what they thought was to their advantage to say that Isaiah 53 was not a part actually of the original scroll of Isaiah. Uh, progressive American theologians were telling us back in 1950, 1960, 1970 that there's no really early proof of, of a man named Jesus. And if there was a man named Jesus, he never claimed to be God. And even the early Christians never said that he was actually deity itself. This is my favorite one. 2004, in a jail in Megiddo, Israel. I've seen this with my own physical eyes. A mosaic was, was uncovered as they were reconstructing the jail in Megiddo. And there on the mosaic tile, this prayer room had been donated by a woman. And this woman gave money for this prayer room of the early Christian church. This goes back to the year 210 AD. And she gave it in the name of God, Jesus Christ. It's the earliest archaeological evidence of a real person by the name of Jesus who claimed to be God. Time and time again, archaeology has proven that God's word is trustworthy, it is credible, it is valid, it has historicity to it. But for those who are in Christ Jesus tonight, we really don't need archaeology to sustain our faith. We can go back to God's word and see what God's word itself says about itself. I guess my other favorite story is, is Voltaire. I'm sure you've, you've heard this story before. Um, Voltaire lived 1650 to, to 17, 
I think uh, 1680 to 1750. And he said, as he was getting close to death, he said that the Bible will only last for 100 more years. 100 years after my death, that the Bible will become an irrelevant topic. No one will want to read the Bible again. And the, and the um, interesting twist to that was 100 years after his death, his house was used as the Geneva Bible Society depository. They housed extra Bibles in his house after he died and gospel tracts that were passed all throughout Europe. I'm just saying this to make sure you hear my heart tonight. The, the word of the Lord can be trusted. God's word to you has been delivered to you. It is sustaining for us. So I want us to agree on, on two things. Hopefully we can agree on these two things tonight. I, I know that often when a preacher gets in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, a lot of college students, especially college students, go home and go, I don't know if I can agree with that. I don't know if I fully agree with, with everything that God just said this morning. But maybe we can agree on these two things tonight. Number one, the Bible can be picked up and, and understood. It, it is not archaic. It is not some museum piece. It is not something that is beyond your comprehension. It's not some mysterious book that no one can understand. It's not a book solely for, for scholars and theologians and, and preachers. God's word is to be handled. It is to be, to be read. It's not out of date. It's not just a religious symbol. It can be picked up and it is understandable. So that's the first thing I'm hoping we can agree on together tonight. The Bible can be picked up. And it can be understood. But, but here's the second thing, and I hope that we can agree on this. All of us in this room could pick it up more often and read it more often. From the wisest sage in this room right now to the newest believer who has barely opened up his or her Bible, every one of us in this room, we could pick it up more often. We could read it more often. So that puts all of us on equal footing tonight that everyone in this room, from, from, from a freshman who just gave their life to Christ a few weeks ago to the old 54-year-old pastor standing up here on stage, all of us can, can be on equal footing tonight. So tonight, college night, it's, it's not judgment night, it's grace night. So we're just going to enjoy the grace of all of this. All of us in this room could pick up God's word more often and understand it even more. So if you can agree with that, would you just say, I agree? All right, I'll take 90%. That's awesome. Let's go to Psalm chapter 19 together to see what God would say about his word. Psalm chapter 19, this will probably be a familiar sounding passage uh, to many of you. It's a great, great short little snippet right here within Psalm 19 on what God would say about his word. So Psalm 19, let's pick it up in verse 7. I believe it's going to be on the screen as well. I'm reading out the ESV, so the translation may be a little bit different than yours, but most of these words actually kind of line up. Um, anytime in, in the Old Testament uh, you see the word commandment or precept or, or law, um, that means the word of the Lord. So a precept, a, a testament, a command, uh, all these mean the same word. And so uh, the psalmist here begins to interchange some of those words, but it is speaking about the word of God. So Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord, meaning the word of the Lord, the testament of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now here's another word that's used for the word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
So instead tonight uh, of a preacher um, telling you, you really need to be in God's word, you really need to be studying God's word, you really need to be reading God's word, you really need to be memorizing God's word. Instead, I think I'm going to take this approach this evening. Can I give you the benefits of doing so? Instead of just telling you, you need to do so, can I give you the benefits of you, again, not just coming to hear someone teach God's word or proclaim God's word to you, but you in God's word. Can I show you some benefits tonight from God's word of you being in God's word? Here's the first thing. You can write these things down. You can think about these things. You can forget I ever said them, but here's the first thing. It's perfect. God's word wakes up our soul. So the benefits of being in God's word, here's the first one. We see it in verse 7. It's perfect. God's word wakes up our souls. Look back in your your Bible, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Not much perfect these days. Probably not a whole lot of perfect situations all the time for all of you in this room. I'm probably talking to a group of imperfect people who had imperfect days who don't always make perfect decisions. There's not much perfect in our, in our world today. You, you can glance at social media for a few moments and realize a lot of imperfection in our world. Not, not much is perfect these days, but God's word identifies itself as being perfect. And, and what does it do in its perfection? It says that it wakes up our soul, it revives our, our, our soul. So maybe some of you in here today, you're at a point in this semester so far that you're beginning to feel like you're tired spiritually or you're plateaued spiritually or you're uninterested spiritually or you become dull at some point this, this semester, just kind of dull in, in your spirit. Some of you in this room, and you prayed for it just then, some of you need an awakening in your life, an awakening in your spirit, an awakening in your soul. And God's word already gives us the prescription right here on how you and I can wake up spiritually, and it is going into God's word because the law of the Lord is perfect. It wakes up our soul. It revives our soul. Second benefit in being in God's word, it's sure and God's word makes us wise. Now look back in verse 7 again, the second part of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I'll, I'll say this phrase again, not much sure in our world today either. The things that some of y'all thought might be certain in your life all of a sudden are uncertain in your life. Relationships that might have seemed certain at one point no longer seem certain. Um, 36 months ago, I guess 40 months ago, things seemed so certain in our nation. I mean, the economy felt certain, our, our health care system felt certain, our longevity of life felt certain. It's amazing how quickly things change. There's not much that is sure today, but, but God's word identifies itself as being reliable, as being sure, as being, as being certain. In fact, it says here, it makes wise the simple. And the word simple, you know you can't come to Highland without the preacher guy giving you a Hebrew word. So here it is. It's the, it's the Hebrew word pithi is, is the word for simple in Hebrew. And it means the naive or the childlike. If you were to look at the, uh, the full picture of that, of that Hebrew word, it means that basically your mind is open to anything. 
And does that not describe our, our culture, our nation today? Oh, here's a new philosophy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow it. Oh, here's what the majority of Americans believe. I'm, I'm going to follow it. Oh, here's what my heart says. I'm going to follow it. But what it says here is those who are so naive, those who fall for any philosophy, what God's word does is it actually makes the simple person wise. The pithy person who is naive to all these things actually wisens them up. It gives them, if you will, the spiritual smarts. It's sure. God's word makes us wise. Here's the third thing. It's right. God's word gives us joy. Look what it says in in, in verse 8. I'm just going straight from Scripture. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. All of you in this room, you're in a window of life right now that you're determining what is right. And I would probably submit to you there's not a window of life, anything like the window of life that you're in right now as far as the determination of what you believe is true, what you believe is right. You are setting the moral compass of your life right now that, that will set you for, for the future. In fact, I would say probably that, that window of seven years between the age of 18 and 25, the decisions you make are more consequential than any other seven-year window. Just think about all the things that statistically will happen between 18 and, and 25, especially for the generation that is in front of me right now. You, you're determining your major what you're going to study. With that, in, in that window of seven years, you, you should graduate from, from college. Please graduate from college. I'll say that on behalf of your parents. Please graduate. You, you'll probably will at least have your first job, find your first job. Statistically speaking, again, God's going to call some of you to be single. And so that statistically speaking, you will meet, if you're going to be married, you will meet your spouse in, in that seven-year window between 18 and, and, and 25, I, I met Jennifer as an 18-year-old Baylor freshman on a blind date. Go on every blind date. You have no idea what might happen. And so two kids and almost three grandkids later, like th- this, this, this is the life that, that we have. And I, I well, she probably, she would t- say different. I think I chose her. She said she chose me. But whatever, we chose each other in, in our sophomore year at at Baylor, that, that was a huge consequential choice for me. Again, you're finding that first job, but, but more than that, you're determining what, what is true and who am I and what's my purpose and, and why am I breathing and why does God have me here in this place at this time? And so in that, in that seven-year window from age 18 to, to 25, I'll say it again, it's the most consequential seven-year window that I believe that you will ever have. If that is true, the benefit for you being in God's word is you get to hear from God what is right. And it's not, I love this, it's not as if you hear what's right and all of a sudden it makes you depressed. Or you hear what's right and, and it causes you sorrow. The exact opposite is true. It says here that once you see from God's word what is, what is right, that will actually give you, give you joy. And isn't that the human journey to find joy? How much money will you spend on looking for joyful things? How much energy will you expend finding joy, looking for joy, seeking after joy? And yet we see right here that it's God's word. Because it is right, it gives us, it gives us joy. Fourthly, the benefit of being in God's word, it's pure. God's word opens our eyes. 
Uh, verse 8, again, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. When it says it's pure, it means it's, it's crystal clear. It's, it, it's clean. It's, it's, it's obvious. And it uses the word enlightens. That means it dispels the darkness. So if, if you've been living in some darkness or living in some shadow lands, it says here that God's word actually opens up our eyes. It enlightens us. It, it pushes away the darkness. It pushes away the fear. It pushes away the confusion. It pushes away the addiction. It pushes away the anxiety. It pushes away the, the doubt. This is the purity of God's word and how it opens our eyes. It enlightens us. Fifthly, it's true. And God's word leads us to do right. Now look at verse 9 again, the beginning of verse 9. The fear of the Lord is, is clean, it's enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are, are true and righteous altogether. It's true. God's word leads us to, to do right. I'll go back to my first two points. Not much is, is true today. But God's word is, is reliable. God's word to God's people God's word to you is completely faithful. And then his, his word leads us to do the right things. It leads us to do what is right. And so if you're struggling even to, tonight with what is right in my relationships with, with others, or what is right with my decisions, what would be right when it comes to, to, to marriage or to being single, what would be right in, in my friendships, what would be the right thing to do with, with my money, what would be the right thing to do with, with my family and with my workplace and in the classroom, it, God's word says right here, because God's word to you is true, it will lead us to do the right thing. So instead of the preacher hammering away at all of you tonight saying, you've got to read God's word, you've got to be in God's word, I thought I would just serve up to you instead that the benefits of you being in God's word. And then now you can decide, is five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day in God's word worth these amazing benefits? of waking up my soul and making me wise and giving me joy and opening my eyes and leading me to do the right thing? That's the first question, or really the first thought tonight, is the benefit of being in, in God's Word. But let me ask this question tonight, and I would love for us to, to do some of this together. Then, then what is God's Word? I mean, outside of, of you having a Bible app or having a leather-bound uh, book with a lot of pages inside, what does God's Word say about God's Word? What does God's Word say that God's Word is? And in doing this tonight, I'm going to need your help. And so I think on the screen, in just a minute, you're going to see some, some verses from, from the Bible, some passages from, from Scripture. And I'm going to ask for you, if you don't mind, just to take one of those. So the first one is Jeremiah 5.14. The second one is Hebrews 4.12. Are these on the screen behind me at some point? Okay, awesome. And then we have Jeremiah 23.29. So don't look up all these. I just need you to look up one of these verses. So someone catch Jeremiah 5.14, or many, some of, some of y'all. Hebrews 4.12, Jeremiah 23.29. Someone catch 1 Peter 1.23. Someone catch Psalm 119.105. Someone else catch Hebrews 5.13-14. And then the last person, if you don't mind catching James chapter 1, verse, verse 23. Through 25. So you just need one of those. Not all of them. I don't think you can look up all of them anyway at the same time, but just, just one of those. And I'm going to need, uh, uh, we're going to see what God's word is, how God's word identifies itself in, in scripture. Would someone mind, now 
here's the clearing house. The clearing house is you need to stand up in your chair. You have, I'm, I'm the preacher. I give you full permission to stand in your chair and tell us your first name and then read that passage out loud. So if you have a really soft, sweet voice, please don't stand up. Like I need someone that can like talk with confidence, with, with boldness, and you don't mind standing in a church chair and you don't mind telling us your first name and reading this passage out loud. So the very first one was, was Jeremiah 5, verse 14. So who's going to take that? Who's going to stand up in a chair? Who's going to tell us your name? Who's going to read it with great boldness and courage tonight? Go. Yes, ma'am. I feel like dead, dead poet society. Does that mean anything to anybody? Okay, good. Becca? Awesome. Awesome. Here's the first thing God's word is. It's a fire. God's word is a, is a fire. When I say that, I mean God's word is aggressive like a fire. I mean, it, it's hot and it's purifying. And when I say that God's word is a fire, here's a good way to put it. It burns up dead things. So when you go into God's word, watch it. It begins to burn up the dead things in our, in our lives. It, it clears out the dead things. God's word is a, is a fire. Uh, here's the second one, Hebrews 4.12. Did, did someone choose that and you'd be willing to stand in your chair? Yes, ma'am. Tell us your name and read that out loud. That's awesome. Thank you, Natalie Harris. I couldn't see who you were with the lights, but now I know who you are. So here's what God's word is. It's a sword. In other words, it gets to the heart. God's word is, is precise. And here's what God's word does, and some of you aren't going to like this. It cuts into your immaturity. It goes straight into who we, we really are. It doesn't mess around. And so if, if you don't want God to recalibrate your heart, don't read God's word. Because when you read God's word, it cuts straight into the, the heart of the matter. It goes deep within it. It's so precise. Here's another Jeremiah passage. Uh, did someone catch Jeremiah 23, 29? And would you be willing to stand up in your chair, tell us your name, and, and read that aloud? Yes, ma'am. I sure am hoping a couple of brothers are going to stand up in a little bit as well. <laughs> Ladies are outshining. Olivia. Awesome. So Jeremiah says again, it's a fire, but then he comes back and redefines God's word as well, or defines God's word as a hammer. I love this picture of God's word, that it's a hammer. In other words, God's word breaks up our stubbornness. It breaks our hard hearts. God's word comes in and it breaks up our pride. It breaks up our self-sufficiency. It begins to break our addictions. This is God's word. It's, it's like a hammer. Uh, does someone have 1 Peter 1, 23? Awesome. Thank you. I was hoping that some guys were here tonight. Sweet. That is awesome. Thank you. Is it Hampton? Is that what you said? 
Awesome. Hampton, great job, man. So we have here that the word of the Lord is like a seed. In fact, the ESV says you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. That is the living and enduring word of God. So God's word is a seed. And I love this picture. It may appear small, but it grows into mighty things. It, it takes some time, but being in God's word produces greatness. And I don't mean greatness like as in everybody gets to see you, but like a greatness in maturity. But often people don't realize this. I'll take just a moment on this one. People say, man, I've been reading God's word for two weeks now and nothing's happened. I've been reading God's word for a whole semester now and I feel just the same. I still don't understand it. I have a hard time. But you think about the, the patience of a seed breaking open, first of all, and then pushing its way up through the soil and then beginning to, to bud just a little bit. Just think about the, the endurance of that seed. It may take several generations for it to be a tree that you can sit under. I mean, it could be a couple of hundred years before it's a, it's a massive, mighty, giant oak. But it starts off as that little seed. I think God's word is like that. It, it begins, it may even be small in your life. And the more that you're in God's word and, and the more that you allow the grace of God to grow that seed and the community of God's people around you to help water that seed and nurture that seed, begin to see that growing inside of you. So the living, enduring word of God is called a seed in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, someone have Psalm 119, 105. Yes, sir. We got right back here. Sorry about that. Standing up. That's awesome. Say the first name again. Ella. How do you, how do you spell that? Oh, Noah. I was like, Ella, that's, that's a great name. Just to not. I'm familiar with Noah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great name. Sorry. It's my, it's 54-year-old ears up here, man, trying to, trying to catch that. So what we have here is that God's word is a light. And some of y'all probably knew that passage already. God's word is a light into our feet, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. So God's word is, is light. Now just think about the, the, even the, 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 the science nature of, of light. It reveals things. Think about what light does in the darkness. It, it guides you. It gives you direction. It gives you answers. And so God's word is, is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God's word is, is light. Someone stand in your chair, tell me your name, and read Hebrews 5. 13 through 14, Hebrews 5, 13 through 14. Yes, sir. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much, man. So I just put down, I think, meat or solid food. Uh, it's meat is what I said. It's meat. It, it's, it's, it's the, here's what I want you to see here. God's word should be the diet of a mature believer. And so the author of Hebrews, whomever that may be, certainly the Holy Spirit was saying, like, if you're just in milk all the time, you're, you're an infant, you're not acquainted with, with the word of righteousness, but, but solid food is, is for the mature. So God's word, it, it should be nourishing and satisfying. God's word is of substance. I mean, you wouldn't give a T-bone steak to an infant. But you also shouldn't give a 19-year-old a bottle of milk. And so as, as, as a college student, you should long for the deeper things of, of God's word. You, you should long for, for the richness of God's word, the depths of, of God's word. The, the solid food is the, is the diet of an adult. 
and, and I know I'm, I'm talking to adults here, but I also want to admonish you and encourage you in, in great love to move past being a kid and to move past being an infant and to move past someone always having to feed you and learning to feed yourself with God's word. And here's the last one, James 1, 23 through 25. James 1, yes, ma'am. See that hand? awesome. God's word is a mirror. God's word is a mirror. And, and, and when, when James writes this, he's helping us to realize when you look at God's word, you begin to see who you really are. Right? I wake up every morning thinking I look like Chris Hemsworth. And then I look in the mirror and go, man, I was way off of Thor. Like that doesn't look anything like him at all. Because a mirror will show you who you really are. And God's word does the same thing. It, it will help to reflect what's really happening on, on the inside. If you want to know what really needs to change in your life, look into God's word. If you want an honest evaluation of where you are spiritually, uh, look into God's word. Want to know who you really are in the presence of, of God, look into God's word. And I don't mean that in even a bad sense. I mean, if you want to know uh, who you are in, in, in Christ, look at God's word and discover who you are in Christ. And so it's, it's a mirror. It shows you who you really are. Here's my last thing. What, what should you be asking when you read scripture? So I'm gonna give you all a challenge here in just a few moments, but let me hold off on the challenge for a few more, moment, few more moments. What, what should you be asking yourself when you're reading scripture? So th this is just, it's a little rhyme that, that uh, I'm not, I don't think I came up with it. This would be way too creative for me, but I think I heard this at some point. Just a little rhyme that you can use every day as you open up God's word. And, and so here, here what, I, what I'd say, what do you ask when reading the Bible? The first question you ask is, that day, question mark. When you read scripture, and this, this can be anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, when you open up scripture, you should ask yourself that question that day. Like, what was happening in that, that day when that author was writing this? Like, who are the listeners? What is the context? What is happening in the chapter before? What's happening in the chapter after? Was this before the cross? Was this before the resurrection? Was this after the cross? Was this after the resurrection? Like, well, what, what, what was the context of what was going on at that time? Who, who was the audience? Who would have read this? Who would have heard this? Who would have listened to this? And again, the, the passage before, the passage after. If, if real estate is all about location, 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 then, then God's word is all about context, context, context. And so instead of just reading like two or three verses and going, I'm not sure I understood that, go back and ask your, 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 that question that day. What was happening in that day? What was the context and who was the audience and who was the, the speaker and who was the writer? So ask yourself that question that day. But here's the second question you can ask today. She got that day looking back and then today, you know, since God's word is eternal and it lasts forever, God's word is true for all people at all places at all times. Therefore, you should ask that question, what is God saying today to me? But here's a question not to ask. Don't ask, what does this mean to me? Here comes Durham's pet peeve moment. 
when people say, yeah, I just, here's what God's word means to me. Don't ask yourself what it means to you because once you ask yourself what does it mean to me, then you filter it through all of your prejudices and you filter it through all of your biases. And let's just be honest with one another. We filter it through our justification of our own sin. So don't ask yourself, what does this scripture mean to me? What you need to ask yourself is, what is God saying? Because when you ask yourself, what, what is God saying, then all of a sudden you've taken away all the filters, you've taken away all the prejudices, you've taken away all the biasness, and you're saying, God, just I want you to tell me today, not what does this scripture mean to me, but God, what are you saying to me? You're compelled to ask God, God, what are you saying to me today? I'm compelled to ask you, God, tell me today what I need to do in light of this passage I just read. So these are going to rhyme. That day, today, obey, question mark. In other words, how now do I live because I just read this passage? And usually that takes two things, either what do I need to start doing or what do I need to stop doing? Basically, that's what obedience is. I'm sorry that preachers have made it difficult. That's all obedience is. God, what do I need to stop doing because of this passage? Or what do I need to start doing in light of this passage? And this, by the way, younger brothers and sisters, this is when life change begins to happen. It's not information. You're the most informed generation in the history of mankind. The last thing you need is more information. What you do need, if I can say it in love, is transformation. And that happens when you begin to obey Scripture. When, when people tell me that the Christian life is a boring life, I have a very snarky answer back to them, and here it is. Then you're definitely not obeying Scripture. Because if you're going to obey Scripture, it's going to be the most adventurous life you could ever imagine. If you're having to learn to forgive someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness, that's adventurous. If you're having to go without some food on a weekend and give that money to someone who's homeless or in need instead, that's the great adventure. And so when people say that the Christian life is boring, I just come right back and say, then you're definitely not obeying Scripture. So obey. How do I now live? What do I need to start doing, stop doing? This is when life change happens and you start growing up. And it's when you begin to see blessings. So that day, context in that day, today, God, what are you saying to me? Not what does this say, what do I believe this means, but God, what are you saying today? What do I need to obey? And then here's the last one. Spirit, show the way. Because the Holy Spirit is your teacher, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's a good teacher. And he'll help to recall to your mind all the things that Jesus has said. And he will, by his own job description, guide you into all truth. So, so this week, when you open up God's word, th those are the four easy things to say. That day, today, obey, spirit, show the way. So here's my challenge. Would some of you be willing to commit to being in God's word every day for the next seven days? I mean, would you be willing to commit? Here's my challenge to you as pastor, as your brother, as your friend. Would you be willing for the next seven days to be in God's word every day? If that sounds overwhelming to you, do you know you can read the Gospel of Mark in seven days if you set aside 13 minutes a day? And if 13 minutes is a lot for you, how about the book of James? If you'll take three minutes a day for seven days, you can read the entire book of James. 
If that's too long for you, how about the book of, of Colossians? You can read that in two and a half minutes a day if you'll read it every day for seven days. God's word feels so overwhelming at times. But I'm looking maybe for some of you to say, you know what, it's been a long time since I've spent every day for seven days in God's word, but I, I think I could make a commitment like that. Would you bow your head with me, please, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for my younger brothers and sisters, how deeply I love this group. God, how more deeply do you love them? To the point of sacrifice, to the point of a cross, Jesus, to the point of obedience to your Father, wrapping on flesh, and the Son of God being tempted in every way, yet without sin. How deeply you love us. We know that by the sacrifice of Christ. We know that by the resurrection of Christ. We know that by the promise of his return. But God, we also know of your love toward us because you gave us your word. A reminder of your character, a reminder of what you have done, a reminder of what you are doing, a reminder of what you will do. So Father, I pray that you would remind all of us that we are to be devoted to the word. Devoted to prayer, yes. And devoted to the scriptures. Father, I pray you'd give us a, a holy desire, a holy calling to love your word, to be in your word, to memorize your word, to hide your word in our hearts, to apply your word, to obey your word, to share your word, to sing your word. Thank you for the grace of your word. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you'd be willing to be a student that would say, you know, for the next seven days, I will be in God's word every day. You may want to take the opportunity to this next song just to come and, and kneel here at the front or come and pray with a leader here at the front. Maybe it'd be helpful for you just to come to a leader and say, hey, here's my name and I am committing to the Lord in front of you. I will be in God's word every day the next seven days. I'm not even asking you to commit for the rest of 2023, the rest of your life. I'm just saying would you be willing for seven days to say, I will be in God's word. And if you need God's word, we have 12 brand new free Bibles at the info desk out there. That's all we could find today, just 12. So I'm hoping there's not 13 of you that need a Bible. But if you need a Bible, want a Bible, we've got one in the, in the lobby for you at the info desk. Here's what Jeremiah said. The word of the Lord came to me. I ate it and it became my joy and my delight. That's my prayer for you this week these next seven days, that you would be in God's word and that it would become, you would digest it, you would bring it into your heart and it would become for you your joy and your delight. So if you need to make that commitment to the Lord to be in the word, maybe something else completely different in your heart tonight, these altars are open for you to come and posture yourself in humility and dependency before the Lord. 
or come and pray with one of these prayer leaders that be up here. They'd love to pray with you. Grace and peace to all of you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.